It's Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. It says this, For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, but the serpent its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. We hear the voice of God in these words. Thanks be to God. So I hope you were listening because I'm about to reference that very reading. <laughs> At first glance, it can easily stump us. It sounds, quite honestly, like a pipe dream, an ancient platitude providing yet further evidence of that deeply feared fa fairy tale faith. Because where is this new heaven and earth? Where is this reality where babies aren't dying and the elderly are treated with dignity and respect? When will these promises that feel so hollow to read, so impossible to entertain, when will they actually come to be? But then I am reminded of a quote from my friend Kendall's book, Preacher Breath, from a sermon she wrote years ago where she says, quote, people do not yet know for certain that God is reliable, but without even trying, they trust the sunrise. Remind them that God is sunrise. And I think maybe she's on to something here. Personally, you can share in the comments if you're a, a morning person or a night person, but I've always enjoyed waking up early before the world begins. I'm definitely a morning person. Of course, seasons come and seasons go. Like when I had a baby, I had to let that season go for a bit and just sleep when I could sleep. But about four and a half years ago, when our first lead pastor transitioned into a new role outside of our community, I reclaimed that sunrise space out of necessity. See, I inherited his full-time role, but I had a two-year-old and only part-time childcare. So the early mornings before the break of dawn became my office hours. I still remember my very first day on the job. Kyle's last day was on a Sunday in early May. And the very next day, without an alarm set or anything, my eyes popped open around 5 a.m. 
And I had this spiritual experience where I felt a weight settle onto me. It felt like the weight of the church. (laughs) And I remember thinking, okay, don't panic. Don't panic. This is heavy, but don't panic. You can learn to bear this weight. You can strengthen your muscles and increase your capacity. You can do this work. And so I got up right then and there, walked out to my patio with my laptop in tow. It was still dark outside and I got to work. And ever since then, I've been getting up almost daily with the sunrise. For a season, I might work. I write a lot of sermons at that time. Other seasons, I I just sit and stare. Maybe I read or have coffee or write. Um, By writing, I mean journal, because I actually did write a whole book with all four seasons of the sunrise. But most often lately, at least during the week, I'm more of a spectator than a participant. And I greet the sunrise from my living room window as Cozy sits beside me eating her breakfast before school. Regardless, almost every morning, I pause. I take it in. Often, I will listen to music as I watch the sun come up. Occasionally, I'll add a new one to the mix, but most of the songs I listen to in this sacred space have been on my sunrise rotation for years. One of those songs is Blackbird by the Beatles. The first line of the song is Blackbird singing in the dead of night, which you'll hear after this sermon, but I intentionally listen to this song at the break of dawn when night is transitioning into day. See, in this space, I'm reminded of the rhythm of the hours and of the sacred invitation to enter into that rhythm at any given time. I think of the divine office, also known as the liturgy of the hours. In the night, the hours right before dawn, we keep vigil. Macrina Whitaker, author of Seven Sacred Pauses, says, During this time in the dead of night, we welcome our night eyes our souls, the nightlight. She says, like Jesus, the night before he died, we keep watch with those who wait alone. We lean into darkness and we grow wise. At dawn, I can still feel this lingering energy from that vigil space. I can still connect with it. I listen to Paul McCartney sing Blackbird singing in the dead of night. And then I often listen to Morning Has Broken, that old hymn made popular by Cat Stevens. And he declares, morning has broken like the first morning. Blackbird has spoken like the first bird. So I sit in this liminal space most days. And in this space, I grow in awareness of the day's flow, the season's rhythm, the continuity of time. And I can almost feel myself moving with those sacred hours, shifting from that mystical quiet, that stillness of keeping vigil and into a new day, offering a new start. Another opportunity to begin again in these efforts to embody love, peace, and hope to live out my faith in some kind of meaningful way. I reflect on these kinds of thoughts often, first thing in the morning. The bird song grounds me in the songs of the earth, rooting me in delight and in beauty. And when the sunrise greets me, it's as if I can do it. With joy, 
I can take another breath. With gratitude, I can put one foot in front of the other. I can face the day in whatever it may bring. So over the last five years, these morning moments have been my tether, my most consistent spiritual practice. When I didn't have a belief that I could count on or a prayer I could cling to, I had the sunrise. Still, I wasn't always conscious that this was happening. I wasn't always aware that the sunrise was forming me, shaping me, praying for and with me until one day a couple of years ago, as I was reading Mark Charles's book, Unsettling Truths, I was struck by a section in his introduction that speaks of the spirituality of the sunrise and his years-long practice of watching the sunrise every single day. From closely bearing witness to the changing seasons to intentionally recognizing God's artistry in the sunrise, he points out that the sunrise is not ours to control, but it's ours to receive as a gift and surrender. In fact, he goes to great lengths to describe his experiences as ones of divine connection. And this really prompted me to reflect on my own years-long habit of watching the sunrise. During these years, I've had a lot of faith growing pains, we'll call them. My definition of prayer has evolved and expanded. My beliefs have been dismantled in so many ways. I've experienced all the usual upheavals that will come with this kind of faith journey. And despite all of this, when I read Mark Charles's Encounters with the Sunrise, I began to realize that I have been praying. I have been practicing my spirituality, embodying belief and faith all along as well. The power of this awareness gifted me with a groundedness and a peace that continues to go with me, reminding me that I don't need someone else's checklist. I don't even actually need someone else's story to lend permission to my own. I can retire comparison for good, in fact. I can refrain from being so hard on myself or worrying that maybe I'm lost. I'm not lost. I'm doing it here already. I know it because when I didn't have a belief I could count on or a prayer I could cling to, I had the sunrise, ever-present, consistent and reliable as a most loyal friend, an antidote to ancient platitudes. The sunrise daily reminds me of my already existing spiritual practices and divine encounters. Now, There's a reason I've just spent half a sermon reflecting on my own favorite spiritual practice, and it's not to tell you to go wake up early, even if you're a night owl. Instead, I'm wanting us to consider together, each in our own ways, the practice of awareness, the kind of awareness that forces our hands because it it insists we acknowledge our Imago Dei. It insists We listen to the rhythm of our own lives without comparison, and it demands we trust our spirit instincts without shame or fear or crippling doubt. And it requires a spiritual confidence that in so many ways, we are already in our most natural and effortless spiritual postures. So many of us feel lost when it comes to our faith now, when it comes to what spiritual practice should look like now. I'm saying 
we are not lost. You are not lost. And what's more, all is not lost in our spiritual toolboxes. If it's still just too overwhelming to consider, let's just focus on this one thing for a moment. Let's practice increasing awareness. Awareness of our faith practices and expressions that are already taking place. Awareness of the divine encounters that are already right under our noses. Because this awareness is our power. As Fran has often said, it's our medicine. It's our entry point into hope. But this awareness can be difficult. It's difficult for us to recognize the ways in which we are already getting it right because our old way of gauging, engaging faith didn't really make room for getting things right. It's difficult because we are searching for something familiar as we look ahead. We want a blueprint or a semblance of certainty or some faith leader telling us the steps to take. That's what we're used to. See, we're searching in our old ways, even as we move forward into new and unknown faith paradigms. We're searching for familiarity in a reimagined faith. We're searching for remnants of a paradigm we don't even want to exist in anymore. I want to acknowledge how hard it can be to look ahead with all this baggage. Hallelujah, we are doing this in community, right? So how do we know what we want, what we believe, what resonates, what spiritual practices are ours for the taking? We reflect, we vision. In other words, we allow ourselves space to dream. See, when I read today's text with all of this in mind, I begin to see God's words less as giant platitudes and more like a dare, a form of holy resistance, an invitation to dream despite of, to incorporate things like courage, innovation, and risk-taking into our faith postures despite all our reasons to stay hopeless. I read this ancient text and I'm convinced that God is ever inviting us to creatively and radically imagine what could be beginning within ourselves. And what's more, as people who are concerned with liberation, just like our treatment of creation, this kind of inner cultivation causes us to shift how we engage even the concept of dreaming. So instead of dominating and controlling our hopes and dreams, we learn to steward them, to tend to them gently, lovingly, and with great care. In this way, we build ourselves up. We lay a new, healthier foundation for our faith to stand on because the old one has crumbled. We, there's no going back. And similarly, in today's gospel reading from Luke, we read Jesus' words about the temple. He says, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. And then a few breaths later, he says, but not a hair of your head will perish. And by your endurance, you will gain your souls. See, Jesus was always pulling stunts like this acknowledging and existing among chaos while displaying a divine groundedness. He napped during life-threatening thunderstorms. He prayed in a garden, no less, on the cusp of his betrayal and death. It's almost annoying, but it's also like goals. Jesus displayed a level of acceptance and surrender to the reality 
of turmoil and suffering, even as his entire life's work was devoted to bringing heaven to earth. So if I ever question why I followed the Christ path, this is enough to set me straight. Even in our text today, we are reminded that dismantling is simply a part of our work and upheaval will be a natural result of that work. So it's not about whether or not this stuff will happen and more about how we will stay in one piece in the midst of it. Indeed, the text today, the the gospel reading speaks to a groundedness, a protection that is ours to receive despite all our reasons to stay hopeless amidst the dismantling and crumbling and upheaval. How do we access this? How do we dare to radically dream of what could be even as we participate in all the necessary dismantling? My friends, our spiritual practices, aka our connection to divine source, can sustain us, feed us, energize us, strengthen our muscles, our capacities to carry what we need to and let go of the rest. And I am saying that in so many ways, you are already doing it. So what are you already doing? And how can you move into a deeper awareness of your God-given spiritual posture? No one can answer that for you, but you. Whatever it is, lean in and then dream even more for yourself. Allow your dreaming to be as consistent and reliable as the sunrise, a practice of abundance that flows up and out, reminding us of why all this dreaming is necessary. We dream because we are the hands and feet of Christ, because we are resurrection people bringing heaven to earth. We dream on behalf of those who don't have the privilege or time or energy to dream. And we trust that when we have need of it, someone will dream on our behalf too. Now, some of you may already be familiar with the inspiration behind the song Blackbird, but I had no idea. I've listened to it countless times, but I never looked up the background until prep for this sermon. And that's when I learned that Paul McCartney wrote Blackbird in homage to the civil rights movement and specifically to the Little Rock Nine, the group of nine black students enrolled at the previously all white Little Rock Central High School in 1957, after the Supreme Court's Brown versus Board of Education ruling declared segregation in public schools unconstitutional. The nine were initially prevented from entering the school when Arkansas's governor called out the National Guard to block them before President Eisenhower sent federal troops to ensure they could attend classes. And these Little Rock Nine were credited with introducing McCartney across the pond, who was around their same age, to the civil rights struggle. And he has said in recent years that they inspired the lyrics to Blackbird, which came out almost 10 years after, after that. Um, happened at the school. Lyrics say, take these broken wings and learn to fly all your life. You were only waiting for this moment to arise. And I hear that word arise and I think about the intentions and inspiration behind the song that I so often listen to in my sunrise space and it clicks in a new way. See, I don't watch the sunrise to escape, to go be with God in the clouds. I watch as a reminder of my earth assignment to join the flow, the divine flow of creator and creation, to join the work of oneness right here, right now. 
And we don't prioritize our spiritual practices as an escape to go be with God and forget the rest. In fact, it's quite the opposite, which is what makes our spiritual practices so urgent. They can have collective impact. They are our own healing, yes, and they are also our fuel, our energy, the stamina needed to daily participate in our earth assignment, to join the divine flow of creator and creation, to join the work of oneness right here, right now. When we actually have the energy to participate, we are reminded that our dreaming is for something. All this inner work, all this grasping onto some kind of divine connection is for something. It is for the sake of our collective oneness, the reconciliation and wholeness of all things. As consistently as the sunrise, we are resurrection people doing resurrection work, bringing the world to life. And as enduring as that old song written over 50 years ago with liberation in mind, I pray, may it be so.